welcome to the Improv Teachers Director's Cut Edition. I'm your host, Lauren Morris. As some of you may know, and this might be your first time joining us, so welcome. I am the host of the Improv Podcast, The Improv Teachers, where we talk all about teaching improv. Improv Teachers was started because of my love of teaching, but also the lack of resources for teachers around the country in improv. And I really wanted to dig into the world of what to do to become a better teacher and not just a better improviser. Now I'm digging into the world of artistic direction with Director's Cut. Every couple of weeks or every week, or de- really depends on shows and what's going on and my schedule, uh, I'm going to break down what we do at AdLib Theater on Saturday nights. Every Almost every Saturday night we have shows and we are a long form improv theater. And I was hoping that you guys can get some insight into what the direct the artistic director looks for when they put up shows. So I will give you a breakdown of the format, some of the highs and lows of the forms themselves, and some takeaways that you can use to make yourself a better improviser. I hope you find this useful. I know that I am enjoying creating it, and together we'll see where it goes. So thank you so much for joining me, and here's our latest episode of the Improv Teachers Director's Cut. This episode or this conversation, well, I'm not exactly sure where it's going or what it's leading, but I felt I should share some of what goes into the decision-making for new artistic direction or shows and really sort of that background. When I started AdLib, really all I wanted to do was showcase long-form improv, specifically the Herald. I love performing and I love teaching people about improv. I love that improv can change your life offstage in so many ways you didn't know possible. I wanted to change people's lives. I wanted to change people's lives either through teaching them about improv or getting on stage and performing and having so much fun doing what I love that the person watching cannot help but be affected. That was really all I set out to do. Here we are. That concept was about five years ago, and the theater now is going to be in year four. It takes a lot of work to put a theater together, and for a long time, the artistic direction of the theater was get as many people through the program, get them on stage, and let's play. Let's just show that there's this format called long-form improv, and this is what it does. And then if they're even a little more curious, we'll tell them that there's a name to it. It's called The Herald, and that has a structure. From there, obviously, we grew, and we started to see that, you know, The Herald is not for everybody. In fact, I would say that there's communities that don't even need to be doing or teaching or performing the Herald. It, but it depends on the needs of your community. If you're in a community that's super saturated and everybody knows about it, like Chicago, is maybe there's something more interesting that you should be doing or creating or learning or whatever. And that was something that we also discovered. We discovered that while this format gave you all these great tools and I, and I come from a place where it's the mother form. So for me, everything that I do stems from that, even whether it's, whether it's improvised movie, whether it's the slacker, pretty flower, when I'm making up some two person show, I'm always thinking of the tools I use in Herald to propel me forward into what's next. I'm also always thinking of ways to 
transform the Herald that I perform in. So, of course, all of that's going to change the artistic direction of the show, especially as we get more performers and we grow bigger and our needs of the theater change. The needs of the theater change, but that doesn't mean the artistic director just makes changes willy-nilly, right? We have to sit down and we have to think about what it is we can provide that also realistically supports the vision and mission of the theater and keeps this theater going forward to continue to grow because if there is no theater, then there's nobody doing any of these performances. So those are things I have to keep in mind when creating new shows. So a lot of times I have been asked in the past, you know, why don't you have shows both Friday and Saturday nights? The truth is right now we don't have an audience for both those nights to sustain or for it to make sense for a lot of people to be there. We don't have enough performers for that. Saturday night is what makes the best sense. You can only ask people in a community such as ours to give so much of their time. Almost everybody else, in fact, yes, everybody else I perform with also has a job that pays their bills and it's all in different industries. They also have different interests that they want to hone and look at. So you can only ask people for so much of their time. Here we are four years later and we're making some shifts in our artistic direction. I'm really excited about it. I think that's what I wanna share with you guys uh, about how it's exciting, but also some of the things that go on behind the scenes. And hopefully it helps some of you out there who are in a smaller community or maybe in a bigger community or running your own team, whatever. This is just some of the things that I've had to do to get prepared for the transition. The transition feels quick to people on the outside, but the truth is, and by the outside, I mean our performers and our community, the truth is this has been something that I have been looking at for at least six months. I will look at our student classes. I look how our classes are set up. I look at uh, the performers we have in place. I look at where I want the shows to go from. And I also look at all the other information and data available to me regarding our community and our customer. What has happened to our Saturday night shows, and it is no longer a showcase of just long form theater or, hey, we're a group of these cool, artsy, fun people, and there's this cool thing called the Herald, and it's what we do. Oh, and sometimes we have this duo. Oh, and sometimes we have this mono scene. That is not what it is anymore. It is now a packaged, branded, polished performance. The players are there to give the audience an alternative comedy experience through long form theater. And because of that, there's an expectation that comes with the performance levels of our players. Gone are the days of leveled classes theater. And that might be something I talk about on another uh, podcast and why we did that and what that looks like. And gone are the days of everybody who goes through the program is guaranteed a spot on uh, one of the teams and at least performing once a month. Now what we're doing is as our last level class graduates and we have our we have these group of performers about 10 performers in place we have to take those people and audition them for this very specific show on a Saturday night because it is branded and marketed in a way we need to make sure that the players behind it 
can meet those expectations. And we're going to help them get there. We're not just saying, oh, either you do well on stage or, or you're out. I think that big, I think the first step is one of those most important steps. And that is understanding what your show is being packaged, being able to give it that elevator pitch, right? That under three minutes, here's what it is. Here's the expectations. And here's what the audience is going to gain from it. Then from there, you can figure out what kind of performer and what you're going to need from that performer and what you, the theater, are going to provide. At our theater, we've always required that people who have been cast onto teams be coached in order to perform. And we've always provided at least one opportunity to get on stage a month, mostly twice a month because we do these one time a month Monday night shows. As the artistic director, I had to look at what we were doing, what we need to be doing, and how we're going to implement that. So here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be running auditions. And one of the things that uh, that comes up is like, well, how do I codify what I'm looking for? Because improv can be subjective. Sure, all art can be subjective. And there's, and there's a piece to that. There are definitely pieces to the improv puzzle, if you will, that we were looking for. Do the people, do the people auditioning automatically say yes to the reality that's being created? Are they automatically adapting as things are being discovered or all of a sudden uh, something unexpected happens? Are they saying yes to each other? We come from a philosophy that the scene partner is super important and we're there to elevate them and make them look like a rock star. Are they doing that by choosing positive choices, by choosing not to engage right off the bat in some sort of argument? Are they not negating their partner's ideas all the time. We also use the triangle of the scene. So are they utilizing the triangle of the scene? There's three parts of the triangle of the scene. If you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to read the book, The Triangle of the Scene by Paul Valancourt. Hi, Paul. And you'll see that there's three parts to the triangle. They're clear, they're codified. You can look for them and you can check them off. Do they make edits? Do they take choices? Do they know when a scene is, feels like it's over? And do they help their partners get out of there by creating a new scene? Also, are they schooled in Herald? Are they schooled in mono scene? Do they understand Slacker? These are what we can do and in a physical checklist when we're auditioning. Then we have to say, okay, here's these group of people that can do that. How do they feel together? We put them in different, you know, take Timmy and Sally. Okay, we need to see you two up. Great. Now can we Sally and Betty? Great. Can we see you up? Timmy, Sally, and Betty. Great. Can we see you up? And start looking at how they play together. Diversity is really important. So we are going to take a look at that. And diversity is not just people of color. It is also gender identification and age. And we have to work with what we have. Some communities are blessed with amazing diversification across all classifications, right? In smaller communities, we don't always have those choices. And that's something on a different piece side of the artistic vision and the, the vision of the theater of how do we create diverse casts? How do we include more diverse students? But that's a completely different podcast and some completely different ideas. But since those are working all together, then when we do an audition, we will have those already in place so that we can keep that in mind as well when we're auditioning the show. Because at the theater, what we don't want to land up with is a cast of seven white guys, all averaging the age of 24. 
that's not our personal mission or value. Great. So we have an actual checklist of what we want to look for that we can be transparent and share with those who are auditioning and that the people who are there to who are there to cast can also go through and keep notes and a checklist so that when the director gets together with the people who are there to give some input, we can all sit down and have a conversation that is as non-biased as possible. And that's the goal is to really do this in a non-biased way. You have to, as the artistic director, keep that in mind every time you cast a show that you need to try to be as unbiased as possible we have we know what the package of the show is we know how we're going to codify our auditions what else do we need to be doing in our case we needed to say to these people who we want to audition hey why would you want to audition for us why would you want to be part of this show why would you want to be part of this community Saying you're going to get on stage is not enough. For some places, that is enough. Yes, for some people, that is enough. But at some point, that's not going to be enough. When AdLib first opened, stage time was the big carrot that dangled. However, as AdLib has grown, so has the rest of the community. And there are indie places, there are other theaters, there are people making their own opportunities, which by the way is amazing. All of that is amazing and wonderful. So stage time isn't necessarily why people would want to perform in this cast. We took a look at what we were providing and how we could provide that better. And one of my goals has been to really get rid of the pay for play model that a lot of theaters have. And I understand it and I get it. And I'm not saying you can't do that or you shouldn't do that or making any judgment. I know that personally, I wanted to get away from pay to play. We're not at a point yet where like, it doesn't matter what, that you didn't go through our classes will cast, that we're not there yet. So yes, you need to have had uh, class requirements because our philosophy and our approach is like no other in all of Central Florida. And we know that without those fundamentals and that vocabulary and that vernacular, we will not all be on the same page. So yes, you do have to take classes. What I mean is when you're on a team, you don't have to pay in a certain amount of money to help pay for a venue or to help pay for your coaching or to help pay for X, Y, or Z. That's what I mean by the pay for play model. Like, oh, everybody gives five bucks and this is the venue we're gonna play in and et cetera, et cetera. For a while, I've actually since the very first team, we have been having our players pay the coaches directly. It was like $5. It was a small buy-in to be like, hey, these guys are giving their time too. As time went on, I was more and more uncomfortable with that, not because of the price point, because we always had in place, hey, if this is a hardship, come to us, we'll make it work. But I think there's uh, ethics that go with being a coach. And we have had definitely in the past those lines being blurred, but that's on me at the end of the day because I'm the one who writes the guidelines and I am the, you know, the buck stops with me. Right. And so to be very clear about the ethical 
the ethics of what it means to be a coach. We have removed the whole paying for your coach. So one of the things that we can say to performers is AdLib Theater will provide you both the location to uh, to practice and the coach to to have for rehearsal. You will also have And yes, again, like, yes, this is the stage time thing, but you have a professional theater to be playing in. You have a place where there is tech, where there is, and while it may not be big, it's still professional. You also, as the performer, are not required to market, right? That falls under the theater. We also will provide you with opportunities to perform up to X amount of times a month. In this case, with this show, it could be even up to four times a month. And so we're trying to make it a win-win situation for the theater and for the performer. Okay, great. So now we know what we're going to tell the performers of like, hey, why should, here's what you get. Here are the benefits uh, for performing with us. You know, your responsibility to us is that uh, if you've agreed to be on this team, then you're showing up, right? So like you're showing up to rehearsals, you're being on time to rehearsals. We have, uh, we, we took um, Mick Napier in his book, Improvise, puts in um, some tips on how to behave in rehearsals, things like always give your best and don't be tired and leave your baggage at the door. So we add that in and we ask people to, to do that because again, this is a professional theater with professional standards and we while we may not all be running off to write on late night sitcoms or late night television shows, we're still presenting, we can still be as professional as possible and make our own community an amazing, thriving artistic community. Here's where the intersection of artistic director and personal feelings converge. A lot of our performers have been with us since the beginning. They were the ones who took a chance when we first opened our doors and said, hey, we're going to teach you this crazy thing. You may have had this class with Lauren. Uh, You may have had an opportunity to work with her one time before or meet her in a class. You may have seen a couple of things she has done, or you may have just heard of long form. And now you're just taking this risk and taking this class with us. And those people are trailblazers to me and will always have a special and dear place in my heart. When you have nearly 20 people auditioning for a team that will probably have eight, maybe 10 people, that's 50% of the people you're going to have to say no to, right? And in that mix are going to be some of the people who have been there from the beginning. And it has nothing to do with them personally, but it doesn't mean I don't feel it. And it doesn't mean that they don't feel it. And that's something that um, was really important to me to think about, right? So, okay, we have this new show, but how can, besides just saying, you matter, you matter, you matter, thank you, thank you, thank you, what can we do? And so creating sort of this other classification where we have this one team that right now we're calling the house players, then we're creating this new team that we're going to classify under RESCO that in May, uh, in in time might be more than one team, might be multiple teams, might be a lot of people. But for now, that's not where we are. So what can we do with these other 10 to 12 people? The ensemble classification. And what that means is that we're still going to provide them opportunity to be members of the community. 
We want them to stay. We want them to keep growing. We want them to keep learning. And so something that was important for me to do was how can we do that? Where can we do that? And what we did is we figured out where and how we could do that. And it worked out to being that there, there's three times a month of opportunity for people who fall under this classification to perform. In addition, we're also going to, as a theater, provide them a location and a coach twice a month so that they can get their own reps in and so that they can get practice in. The other thing they can do, of course, is continue to audition as these new opportunities arise. And that's my hope, is that we've had this upsurge and this growth uh, over the past four years, which hopefully that's what happens as you run a business, by the way. And while and so that's the that's the continued projection and that's perhaps you know some other teams is where these people will then start to fall but those are things that i you know i really had to think about and then of course it's going to be running the auditions and then telling people no and i've had to do that before i've directed several scripted productions and i obviously opened up adlib and have auditioned many people our our very first team coming through adlib was by audition I personally want, you know that, you know that email's coming through, right? Before I give all that butterflies and rainbows part that comes after, which, which is not to say butterflies and rainbows in like a cynical way, it's true words, but it is there. We all know it's there to help lessen the blow. Even if it's true, it's my, it's going to sting. Um, how do I know that? Because I've put myself out there a lot and have and have been given those rejection emails a lot as well. And that I think is also what makes someone a really good artistic director is that is someone who has failed, right? And failure isn't failure if you look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow, right? Instead of being disappointed, there is no disappointment. There's only opportunity from here. And sure, it hurts in the moment, but you, and you can live in those you shouldn't brush those feelings aside. You need to live in those feelings. You need to note those feelings. But you also need to say, oh, okay, what is it that I can learn from there? What is it I can grow from? And being on both sides for me also proved time and time again, it wasn't personal. I wasn't the right person for the role. Improvisers who audition in smaller communities may not understand that. They may not be coming from a scripted world. They may have been or are currently an accountant or a graphic arts designer or a coder, and they fell in love with improv, and lo and behold, that's all they ever want to do from here on out. They haven't gone to scripted auditions and been told no because the role wasn't right for them. And because improv is made up on the spot and we're writing the script together, it feels much more personal than maybe other words coming from a scripted background. I think that's really important. Anybody goes to audition, anybody goes to hold auditions, the person holding an audition better have failed quite a lot. Yes, I want to know that they've succeeded and that they know what they're doing, but I hope that they have put themselves out there to fail because empathy at the end of the day is what makes a really good artistic director. Going back to the email that we send or that I have to send when telling people that they won't be cast on the audition that they, for the, for the show they had auditioned for, like I said, it's not always 
easy. So I like to try to get to it right at the top, right? Get to the point. Then I'd like to give maybe one or two feedback notes. I think people like to hear why is there something they should be working on. And when you've thought about codifying the skill sets you're looking for, it becomes much easier to give that feedback versus, oh, well, it just wasn't fitting what we were looking for right now. That's such a general note that it, it can be hard to hear, even if it's true. So this way, when you have some skill sets, you can say, hey, yeah, but some of the things that we think you can work on are coming out more, initiating the edits, being clear at the top of your scenes, adapting when things are changing really fast. So I like to put that in the top of the email. And then I add some truthful but softer language about how we really appreciate them coming out on auditioning because it is it is true. If no one comes out to audition, we can't put shows together. Without people from our community, we can't have a theater. And the arts don't survive in general. So these are all things that, little things that lead to these big truths. And then I tell them that I have an open door policy. So if they would like to set up a meeting to talk to me or if they have some questions to so go ahead and email me. What I won't respond to are channels of communication that I find not appropriate for these kind of conversations. I keep all my artistic conversations in either Slack or email. Things like text, Facebook messaging, all these other apps, they can get lost in the shuffle. They can be interpreted incorrectly. So I have specifically set up boundaries to communicate. It's never easy, but if you're going to be producing a show, if you've been given the title of artistic director, if you've been given the title of director or producer, conflict is something you can't be averse to. It doesn't Conflict doesn't mean we're getting in fights and yelling at each other. It means that things are going to come up and you have to address those clearly and with authority and make the expectations known. And then when those expectations are not met, there needs to be some sort of consequences that were clear at the top as well. I've seen a lot of productions where too many times people are conflict aversive and the show falls apart before it even begins because people don't want to have a tough conversation. If you don't want to have a tough conversation, then you can't be in a leadership position because being in a leadership position doesn't mean getting to take all the credit. It means doing all the hard work, getting very little credit for what you do, making sure that everybody else is put in a great light and getting credit for the hard work they are doing. That's what it takes to be an artistic director. So there you have it. Clearly, I had more to say than I thought I was going to have to say, and I hope you found some of it helpful. I know that every time I do this, whether it's talking to other teachers or talking about the artistic side of it, I actually learn more. So being able to do this and the gift that you guys are giving me to have the platform to talk about it, it helps me. And I want to say thank you so much for that opportunity. That's this week's episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks again for listening to Improv Teachers, the director's edition. Mm-hmm.